Welcome back to Simon White, the podcast at the center of business, media, and politics focused on East Asia. I'm Christian White and joined as always by Mark Simon. Hey guys, how are you? How are everybody? Mark, you're looking very formal today. Uh, I'm in New York City where it's still not recovering. Good. Well, I'm glad you made it out of alive and you weren't turned into Soylent Green. That's true. It's true. It's okay. <laughs> the, the chuds didn't get you? No, um, but it's, the, the place is filthy and it's it's just not. It's, it's not coming back. That's sad. Very sad. I was actually born there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's sort of sad. Even a Democrat run, we could make fun of the politics. But uh, for America's financial capital uh, to not bounce back is, is, uh, is, a, is bad. It's a loss. Yeah. Um, all right. Switching out to East Asia, the G20 took place in Bali. Bali, which was been pretty much closed for the last couple of years until recently, uh, welcomed all of these people. And it seemed like some of the big, there were two big stories, uh, Mark, which were um, Biden meeting with Xi Jinping and yep. also Xi Jinping giving a little schooling to um, Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister. Uh, I'm curious how you see this. I see this as, as actually kind of a hit on Trudeau where it looks like he went into the meeting with Xi Jinping, probably kissed his ass, and then came out and said, oh, I was tough with Xi Jinping. And anyway, there's this somewhat uh, unreal, uh, it's a very real uh, video of Xi Jinping schooling Justin Trudeau. Was it, was it, is that the right characterization or, or not? The takeaway, you know, I live, I live, spend most of my, a lot of my time in Taipei. I live in Taipei. The takeaway from my Chinese friends was this. Um, so I'm a little bit different in this. My take, the takeaway that people saw from, and from my angle was certainly Justin Trudeau had, didn't have a drop the mic or like, you know, in your face moment, but he rattled Xi Jinping. In other words, this is Xi Jinping. This is the head of the Chinese Communist Party. Easily the most powerful man in the world, really, because, you know, he doesn't answer anybody. He doesn't have a checks and balances. And he got basically questioned by a guy who's got what? What's Canada? Thirty four, thirty five million now. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. he's one point four, one point three billion. He's looking at this guy thinking, how can I launch an attack and take your entire country? You know what I'm saying? I mean, but Trudeau, <laughs> Trudeau, in my mind, that. Xi Jinping kept going. That's the whole take for me. And he kept going. And he made some comments when he's walking away. I think he would probably tell people he was greatly insulted. And here's the thing. That's how the Chinese media covered it. Who does Trudeau think he's talking to, this great Chinese leader? There's a lot of Han nationalism out there. And this, to me, was, you know, Trudeau, he, he pricked it. Did he do a great job? I don't know. I'm not sure. Like I said, no, no drop the mic moment. But right. certainly to me, we saw Xi Jinping really for the first time questioned in a manner that I don't think he's used to. Yeah, that was interesting. You know, I'm reading a bio on Franco now and these guys, you know, may have even in a dictatorship. Um, Early on, you have competing factions and uh, what looks like, you you know, single party um, unitary rule is actually, well, it's like California where it's just, yeah, they're all Democrats, but they're factions or Idaho, it's all Republicans factions. Uh, but as you get farther and farther along, the lack of any ability to, to check what's going on. So the thing is with Trudeau, he's just such an overpromoted sock model, in my opinion. And no, I mean, that's the whole, that, that's where you're exactly bit. right. Where you're right is that most people just look and they go, oh, Trudeau, that's it. 
like I said, he didn't have a drop the mic moment on that. Right. He's kind of like the kid at the end of the thing that screams, no clothes, Emperor. You know what I'm saying? And you right. saw the guy go, oh, you know, that's it. He got all just, I mean, he reacted. I hate to say it. He reacted like just to like an old man who wasn't used to being called out on anything. And if the one thing is that we really saw was he was not waiting for his translator. Xi Jinping speaks English. Okay. <laughs> he, lived the right. for a while. he speaks English. He watches English language movies and TV shows. I happen to know that. Somebody who watched one with him, a movie, said, you know, he watched the whole movie. He laughs at the jokes or he, you know, watched the movie. So the thing is, is that he, I think he was just pissed. I think he was really pissed that this little Canadian actually stood up to him and said something. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, and, 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 and for us, I think it's really good because I think it showed our allies to the north who are not always the allies we need them to be. I think it showed them what they're up against. And I think Trudeau's, I mean, look, Trudeau's not happy about how he was treated. So I, I myself would not want to be, I'm sure the security services now are in there making all kinds of suggestions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a Canadian dream to sell limitless goods to, to China. Um, yeah, but we I can talk they, about, they have the same, about Australia, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you know. the same progressive pipeline problem that we have where, you have the oil in the Midwest and you can't put, because of the environmentalists, you can't put uh, pipelines across British Columbia and the Canadian Rockies to export it to China. So you're stuck with uh, Atlantic clients. No, it's, it's, it's something. So what did you think of Biden and Xi? What did you think of that? Um, you know, it's sort of interesting. It's another one of these marathon meetings and they go in for three hours or something. Um, and you've had these calls either between Biden or Xi or uh, other senior U.S. officials and their Chinese counterparts that go on for like five hours. I'm like, oh, my God, this is death by talking point. You know, you pointed out that even though these people speak English, of course, they revert to China in formal settings of diplomacy, something I saw at the State Department, uh, which I guess adds some time. But you're like, what, you know, what came out of this? It was cast as a reset of the relationship. But um I don't really see anything changing just because you go and have one nice meeting. It was the first time they've met in person since Biden became president. Uh, and I, you know, no real meeting of the minds, which is fine. I wouldn't expect a huge breakthrough, but also at the end of the day, if you look at the Biden administration, what is their China policy? They have, they have various features and things they've continued or discontinued. And certainly they'd love to get them Biden climate gets, change. Do you think Biden gets, sometimes I, I think he does. He gets too much credit for being tough on China. <laughs> yes, I think that's true. Um, and a lot of times it's sort of just, you, know, you make these statements in public and you wonder, uh, as with Trudeau and Xi, what happens in private. But what ha the biggest thing going into the G20 that was signaled by the administration was, we're going to tell the Chinese, you better uh, rein in those North Koreans or else we're going to have to change our military presence in the Pacific. And the Chinese have heard that so many times. And no, unfortunately, it's not true that uh, if you look at the Biden-Obama pivot or rebalancing and even under Trump, not a lot of, of increase in forces in the Pacific. There are fewer cruisers, the destroyers. I guess get replaced one for one, maybe, maybe not. Uh, they just took the some F-15s out of Okinawa uh, with no replacement, no permanent replacement. And it's sort of, yeah, it just to your question, uh, I kind of think that Biden's, uh, with the exception of some trade stuff that I'm pleasantly surprised he kept in place is kind of wimpy on China. What do you think? I think they're like, they're kind of like, a sheriff and he's got some bad guys in town 
and he doesn't want to confront him. He doesn't want to upset him, but he knows he's got to protect the town. And he just prefer if they would leave and if, or they would just, you know, it would change. My point being is he's not looking to, and, and that sheriff's not looking to change their behavior. He's just looking to manage it. And that means they just get worse and worse, you know, until there's actually a big blow up. I know that sounds like an odd one, but I, I always look at international stuff domestically because I, I really think people make their decisions in international relations, not based on grand power games of, you know, Henry Kissinger, but on what's driving them locally and how people feel about it. Here's my thing. My thing is, I think Biden has no wiggle room from the American people anymore on China, even his own Congress. I think people are just tired of it. They're upset with just being dragged in all the time and people lying to them. They're not happy uh, about China. Basically, fentanyl now is becoming a bigger issue than I think the Biden administration wants it to be. Um, their aggressiveness in military actions is, 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 is catching people's ideas. And I think just basically, I wrote a column one time when I was at Next Media, I wrote a column that said Xi Jinping puts on the black hat. And he has, he was wearing the black hat now. For those of us like you and I, we've been seeing it for a while, but now for everyone, Biden did nothing to change any of that. And that's where you're right. There was no reset. It's amazing to me the Council of Foreign Relations types and the Asia Society guys, major reset. Well, we're moving forward. You know, the World Economic Forum jerk-offs. I mean, you know, everybody thinks that this is going to be a big thing. It's not. It's never a big thing. If they meet, Xi Jinping has his position, Biden is his. All right, we don't cuss each other out for five months or six months. But I promise you, we'll be right back at it pretty soon especially yeah. now that we have a Republican Congress that's going to keep holding Biden's feet to the fire. My point is, I don't think the China community, the China hands basically politically don't count. These people are nothings. OK, in other words, I could I used to always say people used to always say to me when I was in Asia, Mark, how is it that you see people and, you know, all these and talk about China? I said, well, because we're tobacco farmers from Virginia and we learned <laughs> to play the game a long time ago. OK. And, you know, when I want to see a Florida senator, I make sure that friends of mine in the sugarcane industry bring up my name, you know what I'm saying, or something like that. <laughs> right. That's how you do it. Um, it's not because, well, you have to listen to me because, you know, I've got a PhD in ancient Chinese studies. Nobody gives a shit. Okay. <laughs> Who cares? People care, about, people care about the real thing. And I think basically... That's my point that the Chinese are going to have to learn. That's why they, in fairness to them, they try to do it. They try to go out and intimidate like guys who different congressional districts will never buy another, you know, walnut again from your district or something like that. Never works because the guys from selling walnuts, because I don't give a shit. Somebody's going to buy it. You know, it doesn't matter if you buy <laughs> right. it or not. Well, that's the Australians learned that um, with their coal and iron that basically for the longest, I mean, they had a Mandarin speaking prime minister who was part of their foreign service, who was very- Australian labor is a disaster. They're, Australian right. labor is just a freaking disaster. And not disaster. the current one, but previously he was soft yeah, on Kevin China. Rudd. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, and he's like, well, we have to be careful because these are our biggest customers. It's like, yeah, you're selling iron and coal and you That's can right. sell that other places. First of all, the Chinese aren't get, are buying it from you because they love you. They're buying it from you because it's cheap and you're close and they don't want to buy it from America. And second of all, there are other markets for that, which Australia has, has found actually works pretty well. Uh, Australia made some news of the G20 too, didn't they? Yeah, they kissed China's ass. In other words, what they did is Albanese, the new <laughs> typical labor prime minister, 
every time we see a labor prime minister, America, should we should move like if we have a little chessboard that says Australia ally, anytime the labor comes into government, we should just move it back to say like neutral or enemy, <laughs> you know, because they're not. The Australian labor people, they're basically their whole thing is they don't they, it's all based on anti-Americanism. In other words, everything is based on anti-Americanism with the Australian from Keating all the way through. It's all based on anti-Americanism. And we have to call him out on it. Why, what he did was Albanese, the prime minister, said, oh, well, we don't think he basically said he was going to kick Taiwan out of the CPPT or whatever you know, that trade agreement, the TPP. You know what I'm saying? He was going to kick them out and let China in. First of all, he has no authority to do that. Secondly, he got nothing for saying that. And then he had to reverse himself because everybody's like, who the hell are you saying this? You know what I'm saying? But he's going to let China in, kick Taiwan out. Taiwan's just sitting there and he just kicks them. Why does he do it? Because he basically knows, oh, the Americans are pushing us to do this. I'm telling you, the, the you know, Rudd is the classic example. I, I know people who know Rudd and they said, the guy's over here sucking up money. You know, he's working at the Asia Society. They're probably paying him six or 700 grand a year. I saw their fundraising for him. They, they raised millions to employ him. All from pro-China guys, by the way. Most of the money yes. all came in from the Ronnie Chan types. And so you've got that, and then he's got a consultancy going. My point is, Albanese went down there. What is it with these guys? They have to do something to screw things up with China. And then they go, oh, well, we have to trade with China. Your exports are fine. You're fine. Oh, well, wine was really hurt. So what? Wine's small. Really, people go, oh, it's a major export. You're still selling it. It's still moving out. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And you're right. It's iron ore. It's, it's coal. It's grains. You know, I mean, yeah. It, it's like, but the Aussies, they just, they seem to, I mean, if the Labor Party was around during World War II, you know what I'm saying? They'd have been, the Labor Party would have been sending messages to the U.S. battle group in the Coral Sea saying, please back off. Yeah. <laughs> That's the labor. That's the labor yeah. party. They All are a disaster. Yeah. And because of the labor party, I, every, I, I say the Chinese, every time the labor party comes into office, my whole thing is I think the Chinese go, oh, great. Now we can advance some more. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Labor party, nothing about Chinese espionage, nothing about Chinese influence. Oh, well, you know, we have to respect peoples of color down here, you know, because that's it. They are a domestic, progressive, left wing climate change nutbag group and they get elected <laughs> by the Australian people because basically the Australian economy is a pretty hard one to screw up. Yes. Yeah. It's a, they haven't had a recession in a very long time. I think they even got through 08 without one, if I'm recalling. They don't have recession. It's gross stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you know, snakes and whatever else they have in the outback. They just, you know, who cares? <laughs> you know. Well, it's interesting. There's a sort of cottage industry in Washington that has a special place in their hearts for Australia in particular. Um, maybe it's because they're in Five Eyes. Maybe it's because they're an English-speaking democracy. Yeah, I mean, the, the ones that are good are great. But the fact of the matter is their Labor Party's a joke. And somebody needs to go down there and tell them that. Yeah. They're, they're, farce, they're farcical. Everybody, e even Democrats, even my de the Democrats I know in D.C. are like, ugh. Because everything with the Australians is based on anti-Americanism with the Australian Labor Party. I'm not kidding you. They almost practically admitted, oh, you know, we don't want to get dragged into a war by the Americans. You remember what happened in Vietnam? What? What happened to you in Vietnam? You know, come on. Right. You know, 
and it's like it's like you know and I, I think the thing is, is they win because basically Australians, like I said, you can't tank the economy and that's it. But I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, so recalling from my history, right, the, the Australians thinking about withdrawing to like halfway through the country in 41, 42, before MacArthur got enough forces to actually invade uh, Papua New Guinea. Yeah, they were going to give up Brownsville and some of the northern some of the northern parts of it. I mean, look. The Australians are great fighters. They're great. They're great allies when they're great. But the Labor Party in Australia, I think that's a huge mistake that we make in our country. We go, well, you know, we're going to have certain relations with certain people. I mean, one of the things is, is that they really learned in the Trump administration well, the Bush administration learned it quite hard, is that essentially, you know, if you're a conservative government in the U.S. and there are liberal governments out there, these global these global uh, leftists or whatever it is, they feel no compunction about like taking shots at you. I mean, still probably the most embarrassing thing I've seen from the Germans in a long while when Trump was talking about like, you know, all the power, the coal and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. they were all laughing at him. And now who was right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, and you know, even during, even from 2000 to 2008, you look how Bush was treated. And then Obama shows up and it's like, oh my God, it's going to be, you know, the greatest thing in the world. And Obama promptly, goes and just ignores Europe like no tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. you know, completely ignored them. And, you know, I think I, I think that's it. But no, to me, in Asia at the G20, I think the funniest, the best story was Trudeau and Xi Jinping. I think the non-story was Biden um, there. And I think the embarrassing story was basically the Australian Labor Party. Once yeah. again, always the Labor Party. One thing, uh, speaking of what Trump did right and wrong on China and other things, at least not the man himself, but his administration wanted to make Taiwan into a porcupine. I've heard that phrase so much, it's becoming annoying. But the idea is you ship them stuff. You know, they originally wanted the F-35, which is crazy expensive, would take forever to procure, um, could be probably, you know, taken out early in a conflict. So the idea is or stuff that can get flown over three months before and given to the Chinese. <laughs> yeah, 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 great deal. Uh, can park it next to our P3. Um, <laughs> and you have uh, the problem now, of course, is, well, there's the question of the arms you ship before a conflict and then the ones you ship urgently when a crisis happens. <laughs> Seems like a lot of these are ending up in Ukraine. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, that's a good exactly investment. I mean, you and I, you and I have a disagreement on our back in Ukraine. I'm fine with back in Ukraine. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I think it's cheap. I think as, as long as we do it right. But I'm not there to have Ukraine take back, you know, go back to 2014 and take Crimea and this ever-ending war. And I'm not one that gets all emotional because wounded Ukrainian veterans are walking around, you know, Capitol Hill. A friend of mine saw him walking around the other day, and he said, "He goes, Mark." The guy had like blood coming through his foot in the Band-Aid. Hmm. And I said, you're kidding me. He goes, no. He goes, I tried to get a picture of it, but I couldn't get a picture of it. And he said, you know, the staff were looking at it. And then somebody saw it. And they, of course, went over there and Band-Aided it and stuff like that. But my point is, is like, I feel sorry for the guy. But like, I, I'm to me, this is pushing back on Putin. I think he's been pushed back. I think he's been similarly defeated. I think Xi Jinping and bandits like Xi Jinping, I call him a bandit, you know, like Xi Jinping have basically been pushed back. I think the fact is we need to support Ukraine because basically my whole thing with Ukraine is, is one of the, one of the impetuses, 
is we did take their nuclear weapons. In other words, Clinton did take them. You know, mm. to me, that's, that gives us, a, you know, we promised to defend them in some way. But I think it's reached the point. They're 40 million people. The Russians are 120 million. Um, maybe they break Putin. Maybe they don't. You know what I'm saying? But my biggest issue now is what's more strategically important to us, Ukraine or Taiwan? Ukraine, the way it is right now, is fine for us. In other words, bleeding Putin a little bit, causing him some problems, and then having a peace deal down the road. You know what I'm saying? As long as Ukrainians can get their grains and stuff like that out. But Taiwan is mm-hmm. Taiwan is so valuable. And the weapons, I, I was just in Taiwan. I had two Ministry of Defense guys tell me, one, one a flag rank officer, that they know their stuff that they're supposed to be getting is being diverted to, you know, Taiwan, being diverted to Ukraine. Every time they bring it up, oh, no, no, we've got this production or that production, and this National Guard unit in Utah needed it, who promptly sent it to Ukraine, you know. And so <laughs> the point is, Taiwan's the most valuable place we have. I do think we have a few years to get stuff in there. I am a believer in the porcupine or the home defense, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. we've got to get them to do it. Elbridge Cooley, Colby or whatever his name is, he had a pretty good comment the other day. It's like, look, we got to start pressing the Taiwanese to really start working on their defense. We've got to press them to train more. We've got to press them on a lot of things. I'm, I am full agreement with him. But we've also got to send them the weapons that they freaking paid for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they pay for it, send it to them. Well, that'll have a good effect too. It'll it'll encourage them to do more. When the uh, you know the KMT, the opposition party, when they argue against rearming, they can say, "Look, the Americans jerk us around. It's going to take ten That's years right. to get this stuff, and we're paying top dollar." That's you know they're, they actually it's cash and carry with them, unlike the Ukrainians, where we're paying for it. Yeah, I mean this is this this is this is ridiculous, and the Taiwanese are actually not trying to drag us into a war the way you Ukrainians are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not into the conspiracy stuff, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, the Ukrainians would love to have NATO troops side by side with them. Of course they would. It makes sense. I understand it. The, the Taiwanese just want everybody to be cool. You know, and it's like everybody, you know, the Taiwan, like we're in the room facing us in Japan are like facing everybody in a bar fight. And, you know, Taiwan's Taiwan's not like Taiwan's going like, hey, cool, everybody be cool. Well, we're facing the Russians over there with NATO, and you know Taiwan's <laughs> like the like your the bad girlfriend saying, "My man's going to kick your ass." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, the, the, it's completely different. And and I would I would go to Taiwanese, but I can't tell people. Look, I, I agree. Putin is defeated. He is not taking more ground in Taiwan. I mean, I'm sorry, in up uh, in in Ukraine. Taiwan is what matters to us. And we've got to start getting weapons in there. We've got to start getting training going in there. You know what I'm saying? All they need to do is hire 100 contractors, you know, retired sergeants, E7, E8, E9, whatever it is, you know, sergeants and things like that, chief petty officer seals. Get them over there and start training. You know what I'm saying? And before you know it, there'll be a porcupine. I mean, they could do it in two years. They could get mm-hmm. forty or fifty thousand guys reasonably trained, you know, with weapons accessible to all the weapons they need to to fight with. I'm telling you, it's it drives me insane. And I think the fact of the matter is, it's a real mistake 
on the part of the Taiwanese not to be getting ready because when they, they're, they're not going to be able to sustain from the first blow from the Chinese if the Chinese attack. You know, again, I'm not I'm actually 50 50 on whether the Chinese do something. I'm not one of these guys that think they'll do something. I think they'll first do something like do a blockade, you know. Yes. And then they may just drop missiles on t- Taiwan for two days and then get pushed back. But they've destroyed Taiwan. And then over time, like that's one of the theories that like they basically make Taiwan unlivable in many ways. And then the Taiwanese will basically political pressure will build up in Taiwan for some type of long term deal. Right, right, right. You know, Donald Trump announced his candidacy uh, for president two years and two months before the next president actually takes office, or at least the next scheduled transition is set to occur. uh, And 14 months before Iowa, Uh, there's a lot of news and a lot of reaction, a lot of analysis that uh, maybe we'll leave to to others on the pure straight up political analysis. But as it pertains to Asia, I think he called out the China virus, very backward looking, you know, uh, Tell me if I'm crazy. Is there a chance the Chinese might actually prefer Donald Trump to other candidates? After all, they kind of took him in that trade deal, the phase one trade deal. They didn't deliver anything on it. They blamed COVID. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, he didn't actually increase U.S. military forces in the Pacific. He may have impressed them. He did put tariffs on them. But uh, I don't know. Did you see any Asia angle worth uh, analyzing, parsing on uh, in that that very low energy kind of? I think think fundamentally the Chinese would prefer Trump. Mm hmm. And I think because instinctively Trump doesn't want to be, he's not an internationalist. Trump doesn't want to do trade deals. He's going to keep us out of TPP, which will basically um, allow the Chinese to move in. I, I never thought TPP meant really crap. You know, it was it delivered. I agree, it didn't deliver much, but it was a format for us to do things and something like that. But I don't really care if it's there or not. Uh, his bilateral deals. You know, it's like when people come to me and say, well, we can do a free trade deal with Korea, Japan. What don't we have that we already have? You know what I'm saying? You know, the people go, well, the rice tariffs in Japan are really high. Oh, boy. You know, there's a market that we're going to go for. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? And so even if the tariffs were zero, they're all in on the joke. They're not going to buy from us. (laughs) You know, that's like that's like complaining. Well, what's that? That that crazy Asian carp, you know. The Japanese, the Chinese and the Taiwanese will not buy the Asian carp. No, neither would I. You know what I'm saying? My cat wouldn't even eat it. And so the thing is, is that, but the point is, I think the Chinese prefer Trump. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because he shoots from the hip. He doesn't have a long-term strategic view. And he's standing there waiting to be bought off. In other words, he's no different than really Albanese. Look, Trump was saved in his Asia policy by by this wonderful team he had around him and by a Republican Senate, really, up until, you know, 2020, a Republican Senate that essentially kept his feet to the fire in many ways, you know. And and, and so I think really he did get, you know, and, and Mike Pence was solid. And I think his I think the conservative movement was solid on China. And so in fairness, Trump was captain of the ship. He was tough on China. He put him, but as you said, trade-wise, did we get much? Not really. We got COVID, and then nothing from that. And what did we not get happen? Fentanyl. Yes. Yeah. Trump really talked on fentanyl scourge. and did nothing. And now he's saying, "Well, we're going to kill drug dealers." 
So we're gonna we're gonna. Oh, shoot. that's right. I forgot about that. He complimented sort of, and then backed off. Chinese, yeah, uh, jurisprudence. My my point is is everything about him is you know look. I grade, I grade our relations in human rights. Human rights to me matters for one reason in U.S. foreign policy, and it's my pinned tweet. Nations that respect human rights tend not to shoot at Americans. Okay, that's the only reason I do it. Trump, for somehow, shows this dark side of himself. Oh, you know, Xi Jinping is what he's saying is if I wish, if I had, if you give me the powers of Xi Jinping, I'll make it perfect for you. It's a bad sound. It's a bad look. People in Asia don't like it. And I think people are over him. But I'm telling you, yeah, if you ask me, that, that was a good question. I didn't really think of that. But it's, it's, it's obvious. Of course, they prefer Trump. Of course they do. Yep. I remember talking to some trade officials who pointed out to uh, Trump made negotiating that deal with China difficult because he kept saying, oh, we're going to get this deal. It's going to be awesome. It's great. It's just about done. It's imminent. So when U.S. negotiators sat down with Chinese, the Chinese knew that they were kind of in the driver's seat because the Americans yep. at some point or other had to buy. That was in contrast to Canada, where the Canadians knew we were going to walk if we didn't get what we wanted. In fact, Trump probably wanted to walk. Yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 simple, the simple point is, is that he's old. He's got outdated views. Um, I have to tell you, Kristen, I was very unhappy when he made that Youngkin. It sounds Chinese. So what bizarre. What the F is that? That's, that, that? It's racial. It's bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And here we had all these inroads with Asian American voters. I mean, outside of the blue, outside of New York, uh, New Jersey, Hawaii, and California, Somebody told me we're at like 50-50 with Asian voters now. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense if you think it, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. But absolutely. you look at look at Lee Zeldin, look at all the Asians that supported Lee Zeldin in Queens and all. Just look at that red. It's red. It's red. Those are Asians. And Chunk's going like, oh, Youngkin, you know what I'm saying? Look, the fact of the matter, his shtick worked the first time. I'm thrilled that we got him. I'm so happy. You know what I'm saying? You know, it was found money, as we would say. You know what I'm saying? And he and he drove. He's entertaining. But he's not as funny as he used to be in the first place. He really not. You know, yeah. he's lost. He's 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 lost. He's lost the he's lost the punch. But the the one thing is is that on Asia, I I don't think that in any way, shape, and form that he's that good. There's other one other thing missing in Asia, quite big for Trump, Abe. Oh right, of course. That's a yeah. That's a good point. That's a big Abe and Trump were tight because Abe took the time to solicit Trump. I'm not sure if somebody else is going to do that. Certainly the Koreans are not going to do it. Certainly there's not anybody in Southeast Asia. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and so, you know, so so that I can't wait to see Trump go to, could you wait to see Trump go to the Philippines and go, here we are with Bong Bong returning the Philippines to the greatness that it was under his father. You know what I mean? I guarantee it's going to happen. Guarantee. It was great. I remember back then, you know, we used to come over here and, you know, I mean, look, it's it's just it's the, the 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 one thing about Trump, you know, on a domestic note is like Garland said they're gonna have a special investigator for him now or something like that. Yeah. I was reading. Yeah, that's just them. They're trying to they're trying to get Trump as the nominee. They want Trump yes. as the nominee. That's all this is. They want to persecute him so people have to rally around him. You know what I'm saying? That's all this is. You know, yep. Well, I think voters may have a different lane. Some of the polls show Trump behind, actually. In fact, all of the oh, polls I, I now think show he's behind. I think he's case. way behind. 
look, one of the things is, is that if I was in Asia, I wouldn't worry about it as much as I, as, as, as for now, it's a long way off. And the problem he has is before you were building momentum, you know what I'm saying? Now he's already up here. It's going to be hard to go like that, but it's very easy to go like that. Right. No one wants to focus on this stuff now. We just finished an election. Some of the votes still uh, have not been counted. Um, the new Congress won't get seated until January 3rd. There'll be a flurry yeah, of activity related to that. And so, I mean, even if he can fill stadiums, which I, I'm questioning, I mean, he was, wasn't able to for his big announcement. Um, you know, major networks may or may not carry that. Probably more. Hey, Fox wanted. cut him off the other day. And, you know, that's where we're getting into the gossip now. But no, mm-hmm. bottom line, if if they have a choice between the, it just depends if they have a choice between Biden and Trump, they'll take Trump largely because Trump would probably bring in a better team on China, harder, more hardline team, but Trump would undercut them. Biden has a good team, but also, you know, I, I, I noticed one of the things with Biden out there, he really didn't have any huge mistakes in G20. There was nothing there. I mean, Everybody goes, oh, you know, he fell asleep. He didn't go to the party. So what? You know, Bush was, the Mr. International was throwing up on the Japanese prime minister's lap, you know, to age Bush, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and 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 who, who was it? Uh, you know, uh, uh, Obama was out there. Bowed to the emperor. Uh, yeah, you know, deeper bows than so, any of the emperor's gardeners you know, probably I mean, ever did. I mean, I mean, that's it. And also, I, I have to say, Biden has purposely, he did it, when he was out there, he didn't look to pick a fight with Xi Jinping. But, you know, this whole defense of Taiwan thing, he still, it's purposeful. When, when you know, when he says it, it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. He does it on purpose. And then he backs it up. And when he was out there, well, then he has to follow the line. I promise you, within the next two months, it will happen again. I was oh, told, yeah. that. wait for it. <laughs> It'll happen again. All right, that's all the time we have for this episode of Simon and White. And if you like us, please subscribe. We'll be back soon soon with another episode. Bye.